Praise God. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Rhonda, for the testimony. We do not want to be silent because we have a good thing to proclaim. And the, the fact is, we can be silent. And we have been silent uh, for too, too long. And we don't want to be silent in this church. And that's one of the things in our life groups that we want to do is labor to tell uh, the lost about Jesus and the good news that we have. So praise God for that uh, and the way God opened up uh, through this other woman, a way for the gospel to be proclaimed. That's fantastic. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, a Bible with you this morning, please turn to uh, the, the book of Luke. I've been preaching through the book of Luke. We're almost at the end now. We're now in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we'll be reading verses 13 to 25. Luke chapter 23, we'll be starting in verse 13. Let's pray. So Father, we just turn to you now, turn to your word. Lord, we just ask for your help during this time. Father, as the, war- the weather begins to warm up, the-, the sun begins to come out, and our minds kind of begin to turn to other things, I do pray, Father, that-, that right now you would draw our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word. And Father, you would help us to focus. You'd help us to think well. And Father, we pray for the blessing of your spirit right now. Father, we know that apart from the work of your Spirit right now, this book will do nothing in our lives. But Father, that combination of your Spirit and this book, your Spirit and this Word, is like dynamite in our hearts. And Father, I just ask for that now. I pray you bless us with your Holy Spirit now. Across this room right now, you bless us in our hearts, Father. You'd fill us with your Spirit. Lord, those who don't have the Spirit now, you'd impart the Spirit and you'd call people to life, Father. And, and Lord, you would bless us now, we pray, through, through this portion of your Word. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And Pilate said to them, you you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! And a third time Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Amen. It's been been estimated that somewhere between 2 to 5% of all prisoners in the United States are innocent. And just think about that for a second. Out of all the people in the U.S. who've been convicted of a crime by a court of law and are now serving time for that crime, an estimated 2 to 5% of them are innocent. And that might not sound like a lot of people to you, But the U.S. has the largest prison population in the world. In 2013, there were two and a quarter million adults in prison in the U.S. And if two to five percent of those prisoners were innocent, that's somewhere between 45,000 and 112,000 innocent prisoners. Languishing in some prison for who knows how long, for a crime they did not commit. In 1985, Timothy Cole 
A 26-year-old man who at the time was studying business at Texas Tech University, he was convicted of rape. And after spending 14 years behind bars while still in prison, Timothy Cole died. And 10 years later, DNA evidence proved his innocence. And the state of Texas then gave Timothy Cole a posthumous pardon and honored him with a marker at his gravesite, which I would imagine did very little to heal his family's pain and loss. Wrongful convictions in our world are not as rare as we might think. And here in this passage, we, we do see a wrongful conviction. But this wrongful conviction here was infinitely worse than any other wrongful conviction in the history of our planet. Because it wasn't just that this man here had had not committed any crimes. No, according to the Bible, this man here had never even committed a sin. A perfectly sinless human being, and yet he was convicted here and condemned to die. And Luke just kind of walks us through the process here. How this, this innocent man was convicted, how this wrongful conviction came about. There are three main parts to this conviction here. And the first thing we see here is an innocent verdict. You know, back in Luke 22, the Jewish religious leaders, they arrested Jesus. Then after Jesus was beaten, he was then dragged in front of the Sanhedrin. The, this, this council of the highest religious leaders in Israel at the time. And Jesus was then subjected there before that council to, to a sham of a trial. The council ultimately charging Jesus with blasphemy because he claimed to be equal with God. And they said Jesus deserved to die. The problem was that the Sanhedrin could not put Jesus to death. Because Israel at this time was under Roman control. And the only people in Israel at this time who could execute someone were the Romans. So the Sanhedrin then dragged Jesus before Pilate, the highest ranking Roman in Israel at this time. And the Sanhedrin, they they came up with a bunch of of false, trumped up political charges against Jesus, hoping that Herod, or hoping that Pilate would see Jesus as, as a threat to the Roman Empire and kill him. But Pilate saw through those charges and declared Jesus to be innocent. And Pilate then sent Jesus over to Herod, another ruler in Israel who also found Jesus to be innocent. And and Herod, after mocking Jesus, then returned Jesus back to Pilate. And that's where we are right now at the start of this story. Jesus has just returned to Pilate here. And Luke now says there in verse 13 that Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And just picture it for a second. They're probably back at Pilate's uh, governor's headquarters, a very large building there in Jerusalem. Pilate's probably standing up on some balcony or maybe he's standing out on the front steps in front of the building. Jesus at this time may now be standing beside Pilate. Jesus is probably chained here. He's very bruised. He's bloody. He's dirty. He has spit in his hair. He hasn't slept in over 24 hours now and stretched out in front of and probably below Pilate and Jesus is this entire Sanhedrin council, the 71 most famous religious people in Israel at the time. And Luke says there are now other people there as well, common Jews most likely, probably a large crowd now, possibly several hundred people stretched out in front of Pilate and probably Jesus there. And Pilate now pronounces his verdict. Pilate says there in verse 14, I examined this man before you. And the Greek word there refers to a legal examination. The Roman Empire at this time, they had a law that was called cognitio, which gave local rulers like Pilate the legal authority to examine and also to pronounce judgment on certain matters all by themselves. In our court system... Pilate would basically be fulfilling three distinct roles right here. 
Pilate all by himself. He is the lawyer, the jury, and the judge. He is the lawyer who has already examined and cross-examined Jesus. He's the jury who's deliberated on the findings. And he is also the judge who will now step forward and pronounce the verdict. You think about this guy. This guy's a little bit like Judge Judy here. You know, if you end up in Judge Judy's TV courtroom, like it or not, Judge Judy is all you get. (laughs) Judge Judy is basically your lawyer. She is your jury, and she's also your judge. (laughs) She will examine you. She will deliberate and pronounce a verdict all in about 10 minutes. And if she doesn't like you, you are in trouble. And man, that's pretty much Pilate. He has examined Jesus. He has deliberated, and Pilate now steps forward to pronounce the verdict. If you look at the middle of verse 14, Pilate says, Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges, neither did Herod. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Pilate's statement. This man, Jesus, is innocent of all charges. And as I mentioned a couple Sundays ago, Pilate actually says Jesus is innocent three different times in this chapter. He's already done it once up in verse 4, said, I find no guilt in this man. He did it again right there in verses 14 to 15. He's not guilty of any of your charges, nothing deserving death. And he'll do it a third time down in verse 22. What evil has this man done? I, 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 I found nothing in him. No, no guilt deserving death. And, and man, as you, as you work your way through this chapter, you realize Pilate's not the only one who says that Jesus is innocent here. Herod also says Jesus is innocent. And then if you look down at the end of verse 41, a thief on a cross next to Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong. And then look at verse 47, a Roman soldier. Certainly, this man was innocent. And Luke is, if you follow his writing, or Luke, he is taking great pains here to tell you that Jesus Christ is innocent. I mean, this, this chapter, that's one of the major themes of this chapter. This chapter is honestly like, like this blinking neon sign that keeps saying innocent, innocent, innocent. Jesus is innocent of all charges. But it's not just that Jesus was innocent of all these charges. No, according to the Bible, Jesus was innocent, period. Innocent of all sin whatsoever in his entire life. 1 Peter 2, 22, he, he committed no sin. A perfectly sinless human being. And, and, and Pilate Pilate has now basically brought the gavel down at the conclusion of a trial. I pronounce this man to be innocent, not guilty. Court adjourned. And that's the first thing here in this passage, an innocent verdict from Pilate. But the second thing here is a hostile crowd. Now Pilate just announced to this crowd that Jesus was innocent, he adjourned the court. But man, this crowd, they will not give up here. They won't leave. Three times in this passage, three times, Luke says that Pilate wants to release Jesus. He uses that word for Pilate three times. Pilate wants to release Jesus. And all three times, Luke says that the people basically shouted Pilate down. You look at it in verse 18. Pilate just said in the previous verse that he would punish and release Jesus. And Luke now says, but they all cried out together, away with this man. And and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. So Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And the third time, Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found no guilt in him deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud 
cries that he should be crucified. Just shouting Pilate down all three times that he has this desire to release Jesus. You ever seen the British Parliament in action? <laughs> the House of Commons? Yeah, you ever seen that? Somebody, somebody makes a statement in the British Parliament, and, and uh, man, the entire place just erupts with, with all of this yelling and, hate and heckling, basically just beating the guy down with this verbal chaos. Man, I seriously watched a video of it this week on YouTube. I don't know how they get anything accomplished in that place. Everybody yelling and just beating people down with verbal chaos. And it's a little bit like this crowd here. They just keep shouting at Pilate. Growing louder. More insistent, more urgent, Luke says, as this thing moves along. Amen. In, in, the, in, in the very middle of this chaos here, Pilate says something that just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense when you read it. On two different occasions here, Pilate says that he will punish Jesus. He says it in verse 16. He says it again in verse 22. I will punish and release him. And and it doesn't make much sense because on both occasions, right before Pilate says he'll punish Jesus, he says Jesus is innocent. I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges. He's done nothing worthy of death. Therefore, Pilate says, therefore, I will punish and release him. How does that make sense? I mean, I mean, Judge Judy announces your verdict. You're innocent. Good job, buddy. You're free to go home after my guards beat you up in the lobby. Have a good day. This is basically what he did. It just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense here to punish this innocent man. But listen, believe it or not, that was fairly common in Roman legal trials when someone other than a Roman citizen was on trial. Even when that accused person was exonerated, acquitted, declared to be innocent, the person was occasionally subjected to a mild whipping as a sort of judicial warning. Warning the person to be more careful with his conduct in the future. You may be innocent, but you shouldn't even be here in court at all. Be more careful in the future. Again, they wouldn't whip their own citizens, but they would whip slaves. They would whip foreign citizens, foreign, or foreigners like Jesus. No problem. And, and Pilate, you know, by, by, by promising to punish Jesus here, I think Pilate is probably working for a sort of compromise. Now, Pilate knows that this crowd here wants Jesus killed. He knows it. And, and I think Pilate knows that, that if he releases Jesus outright here, with no punishment at all, this crowd will riot. So Pilate works for a compromise. I'll have Jesus punished and then released. And, and Pilate did have Jesus punished here. Luke doesn't tell us about it, but the other gospel writers do. Pilate actually had Jesus whipped on two different occasions. Jesus was whipped right here after Pilate pronounced him to be innocent. And Pilate will later have Jesus whipped again after Pilate finally turns him over to be crucified. And the whipping that Jesus received here was probably not quite as severe as the one he'll receive later. The Romans had three distinct levels of flogging or or whipping. And the Greek word that Luke uses here for punish in this passage, it indicates that Jesus probably received here the milder form, the mildest form of flogging, which was called in Latin the fustigatio, 
He'll receive the most severe form of whipping later. But listen, man. Even even the mildest of the three levels of Roman punishment, which Jesus probably received here, this thing was probably still really brutal for Jesus. Probably quite a bit harsher than most of the milder punishments the Romans gave out. An incredibly painful and degrading experience for Jesus. John describes it. John 19.1, John says that in this beating here, the, Romans first, the Roman soldiers first whipped Jesus. Now maybe not, maybe not whipping Jesus yet with this thing that they called the flagellum, or, the, or we would call it the, the cat of nine tails. Maybe not whipping him yet with that. That will come later. But they did whip Jesus with something here. And John 19 says that they then shoved this crown of thorns upon his head, the blood most likely dripping down his face, put a purple robe on him, struck him with their hands, probably their fists, and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. And John 19 says that after that whipping, Pilate then brought Jesus back out to this crowd, this big crowd here, and Pilate said, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Behold the man. And I think Pilate was working for a compromise there. I think Pilate was probably hoping that this crowd, it would see Jesus here badly bruised, would see him bloodied standing before Pilate, and that would be sufficient for them. And Pilate could then release Jesus without a riot. This crowd won't have it. They just yell all the more, louder, more insistent, more, more hostile. Matthew 27 says the Jewish leaders stirred up the rest of the crowd. You just picture Jewish leaders running around working the crowd, stirring this crowd up into this hostile frenzy. And, and, and this, this crowd here shouts a couple different things at Pilate here. One, crucify Jesus. Verse 21, crucify him. Crucify him. Verse 23, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. We don't want Jesus just to be beaten. We want him killed. Crucify Jesus. And number two, release Barabbas. Verse 18, away with this man Jesus and release for us Barabbas. And, and Luke doesn't tell us there why this crowd started yelling all of a sudden for the release of this guy Barabbas. But the books of Matthew and Mark, they tell us. And Matthew 27 says that Pilate had a custom at this time of year, during the Passover. Pilate, once a year at this time, supposedly as a gesture of goodwill toward the Jews, Pilate would release a prisoner of their choice. Presidential pardon of sorts. And Matthew 27 says that Pilate now offered this hostile crowd here a choice. Who should I release? Jesus or Barabbas? And, and I think that Pilate probably expected when, when this crowd was forced to choose between Jesus and Barabbas... I think Pilate expected that this crowd would definitely choose for the release of Jesus. Do not release Barabbas. Keep him in prison. And why? Because Barabbas was a notoriously bad man. A violent criminal. Luke says in verse 18 that Barabbas was in prison for an insurrection. He started in the city and for murder. Some sort of rebellion that, that Barabbas had instigated in Jerusalem. He may have instigated against the Jewish leadership, for all we know. And Barabbas committing murder along the way in, in this rebellion. John 18 says he was also a thief. 
Mark 15 says Barabbas was one of the rebels in prison. Matthew 27 calls him a notorious prisoner, not a nice man. I mean, think of a, think of a modern-day terrorist. Honestly, that's probably kind of what Barabbas was like. Think Al-Qaeda. Think ISIS. Think of a man who had probably been senselessly killing to make a point. He's a convicted murderer. He's not in prison to be rehabilitated. He's in prison waiting for his execution. He's on death row. And Pilate gives the crowd a choice. Do you want me to release for you Jesus or Barabbas? Thinking, I believe, that this crowd would choose to release Jesus, not Barabbas, but they don't. Matthew 27 says the leader stirred up the crowd again and they yelled, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Crucify him. And man, you know, when you stop and think about this crowd here, you just picture this crowd, the anger and the rage in their faces. Crucify him. And you think about that, the sheer hatred and the hostility here that is being demonstrated toward Jesus. Man, you you think of this crowd, it's very easy to kind of condemn this crowd in your mind. Man, that is a nasty bunch of evil people. What a bunch of jerks. Man, I would, would caution you not to do that. Because that crowd there, in some strange way, you are very similar to that crowd. That crowd right there is really a pretty good picture of you in your lost and fallen condition. It's a good picture of me. That's a a good picture of all of us, the crowd right there, a great picture of the entire human race in our lost and, 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 and natural born condition. I mean, just, just think about what's, what's going on there. The, the hatred and hostility that this crowd has here for Jesus, do you realize that's ultimately a hatred and a hostility for God? You know why? Because Jesus is God according to the Bible. God in human flesh. That, that, that's a hatred and a hostility there toward the one true God. And listen, in our natural born fallen condition, every human being has an inborn hostility and hatred toward the one true God. You may not know it. You may not feel like you do in your, in your, your lost, natural-born condition. You, you might not feel like you hate God, a hostility toward God. But the Bible says that you do. According to the Bible, you're a sinner, lost and separated from God. And you, you know what the Bible says about us, about the human race in, in our lost and, and sinful condition? Romans 8, 7, we are hostile towards God. Romans 5.10, God is our enemy. In our lost and sinful condition, man, we do not really love God in our hearts. We hate him. And a natural enmity, natural animosity between us and God. We don't want God to rule us. We want to rule ourselves. Be our own gods. God created us to to know him and and enjoy him and and, and obey him and worship him. And yet we have all rebelled against God. Looking for fulfillment and joy in other places. In investing our lives in the pursuit of wealth. The pursuit of power. The pursuit of earthly pleasure. Those are our gods. The gods we pursue. We have this internal hatred and hostility toward the one true God. Man, in our lost and and, and sinful condition, we don't want God to be our God. Now, deep down in the hearts of every last one of us, 
there's something that says, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Away with this God. Away with him. Man, it's crazy to think that the entire human race in our natural born state, a very hostile crowd in the eyes of God. Rage against the God who created us. Man, in some strange sense, you are the crowd here. You're the crowd and so am I. So we have this innocent verdict here from Pilate. A hostile crowd. And man, the final thing we see here is a wrongful conviction. You look at the end of verse 24. This crowd is shouting, Pilate. And Luke, Luke says, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Pilate caves. He he gives in. Pilate succumbs to the will of this crowd. You know, all of us have done things at times that we really didn't want to simply because people pressured us. Now we've all given in to peer pressure in different times and in different ways. In the movie A Christmas Story, a little boy named Flick did not want to stick his tongue on a frozen flagpole. But when Schwartz Triple dog dared him to do it. (laughs) Everybody knows you cannot back down from a triple dog dare. So Flick stuck his tongue on the frozen flagpole. And it stuck for a long time. Peer pressure. And Pilate basically caves in here to peer pressure. This is what this thing is here. And, and I think Pilate probably caved in here because he was trying to avoid a mass riot in his district. Daryl Box says that Pilate, given the choice between a controversial Jewish teacher and a Passover riot in Jerusalem, Pilate probably decided here that one death was better than mass violence. Matthew 27 says that when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing here, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the people, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people in this crowd cried out to Pilate, His blood be on us and on our children. Can you even imagine that? His blood be on us and on our children. And Matthew 27 goes on to say that Pilate then released for them Barabbas and delivered Jesus to be crucified. That's an intensely wrongful conviction. I mean, my word, that, that, that's infinitely worse than, than every other wrongful conviction in the history of our world. Because, because in this conviction, the man condemned to die was a perfectly innocent, perfectly sinless, human being. And you know, once again, it would be really easy to condemn Pilate now for what he did. 
Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent and condemned him anyway. Come on, Pilate. But man, again, I caution you to be careful of that because once again, you are not all that different from Pilate. You're not all that different. You're not just similar to the crowd here. No, you're, you're also a little bit like Pilate. I am too. We, we all are. Not exactly like Pilate, it's obvious, but in similar ways. Just think about it. Pilate is faced with a choice here. Pilate knows here that the right thing to do is to release Jesus. But Pilate also knows here that that right thing will not be a popular thing. The people will not like it. Pilate has a choice. Will he do the right thing or the popular thing? And his choice came down to this, I believe. Will Pilate fear God here and do the right thing? Or will he fear man here and do the popular thing? And Pilate caves. He he fears man, afraid of the riot that these people will create, and he does the popular thing. He condemns Jesus. Sinning against his own conscience. And you've done that. And, And I've done that. We all have. You know deep in your heart what is right to do in a certain situation. But, but you also know that the right thing to do will not be a popular thing. People won't like it for some reason, and you have a choice. Will you do the right thing, or will you do the popular thing? Will you fear God, or will you fear man? And you cave. You fear man, and you do the popular thing, sinning against your own conscience. You know in your heart, you you shouldn't laugh at at some stupid, filthy joke at work, but you do. Afraid of what people will think of you if you don't do it. You know in your heart, you, you shouldn't participate in office gossip, but you do. Afraid of what people will think of you if you don't. You know in your heart you, you should speak up in a certain situation. You, you should maybe speak up and, and commend Christ to, to people in a certain situation, but you don't do it. Afraid of people. You know in your heart that, that you shouldn't go along with your, your friends in, in a certain situation. You know that what they're doing is, is a sin or maybe even a crime, but you do it anyway, afraid of people, afraid of what people or will say or do if you don't do it. When I was, uh, when I was doing prison ministry in, in East Texas, I met a 21-year-old man named Aaron. I actually met with him for several years when I was in East Texas. And a couple years before I met Aaron, a particular situation came up in his life. And he knew in his heart that it was wrong to drive his friends to a convenience store so they could rob it. But he did it anyway. Afraid of people. Chose to do that which was popular instead of that which was right. He feared man instead of God in that particular situation. And his friends walked into the convenience store And unknown to Aaron, they killed the clerk. And Aaron is now serving a life sentence in a Texas state penitentiary because he drove a car against his conscience. All of us, at some point or another, all of us, at some point, we've been in a situation where we've had a choice. You either do that which is right, or you do that which is popular. And we caved. Sinning against conscience. Like Pilate. 
So man, you read through this story. Don't, don't get on your, your high horse and, and judge and condemn the crowd here in your self-righteousness. Don't do it with Pilate either. Because man, when you, when you get right down to the brass tacks here, we are all not that different from the crowd or Pilate. You are the crowd and you are also Pilate and so am I. Pilate caves here, did that which was popular there, rather than that which is right. Luke said there that in verse 25 that Pilate now released Barabbas and delivered Jesus over to the will of the crowd. And the will of this crowd here is for Jesus to be crucified. I mean, you, you know what's crazy when you kind of read through this thing here? This crucifixion of Jesus that will now take place, it isn't just the will of the crowd here. No, it's the will of God. That's the ultimate reason why Jesus will die here. Jesus won't die here ultimately because it's the will of these people. No, Jesus will die here ultimately because it's the will of God. God the Father wants His Son Jesus to die. Man, Listen, if God, if God the Father didn't want His Son Jesus to die here, no one on this planet could make it happen. Satan could not make it happen. But God does want Jesus to die here. God has willed for Jesus to die. And because God has willed for Jesus to die, because God has willed this thing, God now uses the sinful hearts of men like Pilate and Herod. God uses the sinful hearts of the people in this hostile crowd here. God even uses the sinful heart of Satan here. God allows all of these sinful beings to carry out the sinful desires of their hearts in order to accomplish his will. Man, you can hear it in the book of Acts. Listen to these verses. Acts 2.23 says that Jesus was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Acts 4.27 says that Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they did to Jesus whatever God's hand and whatever God's plan had predestined to take place. And Jesus, he, he, he won't ultimately die here because it's the people's will. He'll ultimately die here because it is God's will. Isaiah 53, 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And man, why? Why? Why would God the Father will to crush his own son? Here's why. So that sinners like you and me might be saved. It was so that sinners like you and me, people drowning in, the, in sin in our natural born fallen condition. People filled with this internal hatred and hostility toward God. People who are enemies of God. God willed for his son Jesus to be crushed in order that sinners like you and me might be saved. And I don't, know, I don't know if you realize this or not, but here in this passage, Luke actually shows us a picture of it. Luke actually shows us here why Jesus was crushed. I don't know if you realize this. You're not just the crowd here. And you're not just Pilate here in this story. You're you're somebody else here in this passage. You know what it is? You're Barabbas. You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. Barabbas is a picture of you and me. You think about it. Just like Barabbas here, you have committed crime. You've committed crimes against God. You've committed an insurrection against God. You've committed a rebellion against God in your life. And just like Barabbas, your crimes earned you a death sentence. And because of your sins, because of your crimes against God, God locked you away in a spiritual prison. 
separated from him. No way for you to, to get out of that prison. You're just, you're just waiting for your, your day of execution. Just, just waiting for your day of judgment. This day when, when God would come forward and he'd call you out and he'd pronounce you guilty and condemned and he'd punish you eternally for your sins. You're Barabbas in your natural born fallen condition. That's you. A hopeless criminal. A death row inmate. But man, just think what happens to Barabbas here. Just think about it. Put yourself in this guy's shoes. You're sitting there in this Roman prison cell just waiting for your just execution, which you know will be a Roman crucifixion for your crimes. The worst imaginable way you could possibly die. You know you deserve it. You're now just waiting for it. You're anticipating the nails in your hands and the, the nails in your feet. You're, you're anticipating the pain of that. You're anticipating the excruciating pain. You're anticipating the blood filling your lungs and your legs being broken on the cross. You don't know when it's coming, but you know that it is coming and you deserve it. And all of a sudden you hear outside of the building and somebody yells your name, Barabbas! And then you hear the words, Crucify! Crucify him. And you just know, you just know that your, your time has come. And the Roman guards then come and they drag you out of your cell and they throw you before Pilate in front of a hostile, screaming crowd. But you're there for some reason with this other man. Bruised and bloodied. A crown of thorns on his head. A purple robe on his body. And all of a sudden, Pilate turns to this other man and Pilate says of this other man, this man has done no evil. I, I, I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. And you just know that now Pilate's going to turn to you and he will pronounce your guilt, he will pronounce your condemnation, and he will send you to the cross that you deserve. Man, miraculously, but before you hardly even know what has happened, Pilate, for some reason, sends the other man to the cross. And he releases you. You're free. You're free. Somehow, you are now free because the other man is going to die. You, by law, are now innocent because he, by law, is now guilty. You receive the release. You receive the freedom that he deserves. And he receives the punishment, the crucifixion that you deserve. You receive his life because he receives your death. Jesus is now carrying your cross. You're Barabbas, a sinner who by nature is locked away in a spiritual prison of sin and death. God the Father very graciously willed that his son Jesus would be crushed. And why? So that sinners like you and me might be released. That word release is a huge word in this passage. Luke intentionally uses the word release five different times. He says three times that Pilate desired to release Jesus. But the crowd called out, no, away with this man, release Barabbas. And at the end of the passage, Luke says that, the, that Pilate delivered Jesus over to the will of the crowd and he released Barabbas. And man, Luke is, Luke is highlighting two primary things for us there in this passage. He's highlighting the innocence of Jesus and he's highlighting that word release. And with those two things right there, Luke just preached the gospel to you. Luke just, Luke just told you why the father willed that his son would be crushed. He just told you why Jesus would die. And here it is. The innocent one willingly went to the cross and was crushed in order that sinners like Barabbas, in order that sinners like you and me 
might be released. Free. Forever. And man, the crazy thing is, the only thing you need to receive this release is faith. A simple, genuine, childlike faith in Jesus Christ and you're forgiven of your sins. And you're released from your prison of sin and death forever. It's incredible. The wrongful conviction here. And this perfectly sinless man is now marching to his death. And, and who's to blame for this wrongful conviction? We are. We are. It was our sin that put him on the cross. You're the crowd. You're Pilate. You're Barabbas. I am too. We killed the Son of God. Which is crazy. Amazingly, this death that we caused, it's the very thing that brings us freedom. And eternal hope. An old hymn by Horatius Bonar. He said this, I see the crowd in Pilate's hall. Their furious cries I hear. Their shouts of crucify appall. Their curses fill mine ears. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. I see the scourgers rend the flesh of God's beloved Son. And as they smite, I feel afresh that I of them am one. Around the cross, the throng I see that mock the sufferer's groan. Yet still my voice, it seems to be, as if I mocked alone. T'was I that shed that sacred blood. I nailed him to a tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Yet not the less, that blood avails to cleanse me from my sin. And not the less, that cross prevails to give me peace. Within. Killed the Christ of God. It's our sin. And amazingly, it's that very death that cleanses us from sin and gives us peace within. You trust in Christ today and be free forever. Father, we do thank you. There's how many different times and how many different ways you can preach the gospel to us in the Word. And show us the beauties of Christ. We just thank you, Father, uh, for this. Thank you for your word. Father, forgive us for our self-righteousness and thinking we're great, great people at times. Father, thank you for reminding us here of our own sin. Of the many ways we've sinned like this crowd, like Pilate, like Parabas. Father, we just acknowledge we are sinners. And our only hope is in Jesus, the perfect one, who gave himself so that we might be free. In Jesus' name, amen.